Hello, and welcome to The Shining Light, where we are shining the light of the gospel and speaking the truth in love, providing strength, and stirring the hearts of our listeners. We are so glad to have you joining us today as you listen to this message from Pastor Tim Cruz. He's already there, as I prayed this morning. I said, Lord, I want to thank you that you're not only with me, you go before me, but you are in the pulpit waiting for me. As I prayed years ago, I said, Lord, would you go with me to the pulpit this morning? It's like the Lord just brought to my mind, well, I'm already there waiting for you. Just come on. And the Lord is out in front of us. He goes before us as his children. And he knows what we're going through. He knows what we're facing. He knows what he has for us in this message, in this moment. Someone's whole life, eternity, future, so many things relationships, all of it could be changed for good today in this meeting, in this moment. It's not just another church service. We have an opportunity to be confronted with the Word of God, to be comforted, to be challenged with the truth of Scripture. And God wants us to receive what He has for us. When I was a young boy, I remember someone dropping off some black trash bags filled with hand-me-downs. It was like Christmas. As me and my brother Terry dove into those trash bags, we started going through there. We'd see a shirt or a t-shirt or something that we liked. I'd hold it up and see if it fit. And, and then I didn't think one would fit me, and I thought it would fit Terry. And so I handed one to him. I said, here, Terry, this will fit you. I bet you'll like this. We were thrilled. I've always, for some reason, I believe the Lord just teaching me through my life experience, been able to look at things and see potential. That's why I guess I bought the 1974 Galaxy sitting on cement blocks for my first car. No tires, wouldn't even start, but I saw potential. I can tell you so many other things, even here with some of the things the Lord's entrusted to us, some of these houses, and others may not see as such, but I would look at something and say, hey, there's a lot of potential there. Some people, they look at the problem, the challenge, the bother, the effort. I always looked at it, well, just put a little effort in it, and it could be brought back to life. It could be made like new. I want to tell you, that is the heart of our God. That's how he looks at you and me. And we see this illustrated to us in the book of Jeremiah. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me there. Jeremiah chapter 18. A wonderful passage of scripture. And I think about where the people of God were in uh, the workings of God in their lives. God had raised up Jeremiah, this man who had a heart for God. He ministered in Judah during the last 40 years of the nation's history. And yet the nation, in spite of his preaching, just continued to decline. He warned them again and again, rising early and warning them, calling them back to God, and they would not. He expressed his burden, his grief for them. In the book of Lamentations, he's known as the weeping prophet, a priest called to be a prophet 
a sensitive man called to confront kings, one has said. False prophets and hypocritical priests. He was bold before men, but broken before God. No wonder we call him the weeping prophet. Many times in her history when the nation Israel would not yield to God, he made her again. She was marred but still in his hands. She was marred but had potential. She was marred and he made her again and he will do the same for anyone who yields to his will. This is our heavenly potter. The one who sees in us what we don't see in ourselves or in each other. The potential. Oh, but I see the brokenness of my life. I, I, I see the flaws of my life. Well, the potter doesn't take the clay and throw it away. According to this passage of Scripture, he takes it and molds it anew. He makes it another vessel. He presses out that dirt or that grit or that blemish and he forms it and fashions it all over again. He remolds it. Pottery making was a familiar sight throughout the ancient Near East. It was quite natural for Jeremiah to use this as a symbol. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Jeremiah used many symbols. The marred loincloth in chapter 3, celibacy in chapter 16, the potter's clay here in chapter 18, the yoke, chapter 27, and the purchased field in chapter 32. He was filled with imagery, word pictures, that people could see in their minds, they could relate to, and they could understand more readily and apply it to their own lives. That's who Jeremiah was, and that's who God spoke through to his people and speaks to us through today. He went to the potter's house probably located in the southern section of the city, perhaps in the potter's field south of Jerusalem, just beyond the Valley of Hinnon, one writer says. Wheels, two circular stones connected by a vertical shaft. The potter would sit at the wheel, spinning the lower stone with his feet and causing the upper disc to rotate. This enabled both hands to be free in order to work the clay. Should the vessel become marred or any impurity detected, the potter would not discard the clay, but simply remold it into a, another vessel. And you can see that in verse 4. Underline those words, another vessel. Think of what God is doing in the lives of his people here. Think of what we glean from this passage of Scripture. And I want you to write this down as our theme this morning. This is what we get. The very heart of this passage of Scripture is that God is at work in the lives of his people. God is at work in the lives of his people. God is at work in your life and in my life. Though marred, though scarred, though weary, though worn, God is at life in the work, or God is at work in the lives of his children. God knows where you're at. God knows what you're facing. And God wants us to take comfort and reassurance from what he gives us here in the scriptures. Now, God was at work. I think it's interesting here, as he would call them to repentance before the Babylonian captivity and even go into captivity with them and point them back to God and remind them, this is why you're here. You would not repent. You would not deal with your sin. And now God has to. He warned them down in verse 11. It's amazing what he said to them. 
in the middle part of this verse, God said, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. God is saying here, the word frame has a thought of the work of the potter. God is saying that I am going to mold you, remold you one way or another. You're going to yield to me and allow me to deal with you and to work on you or you're going to harden yourself and then I'm going to have someone else work on you. I will not forsake you. I am your God and you are my people. You say, well, I'm just going to kind of walk away. You can't walk away. He's your God. He will never leave you. You cannot walk away from someone who said, I'm not going anywhere. God is coming after us. He's pursuing us. He's trying to get us to understand his heart for us. Even in our brokenness, even in our sorrows, there's a God who has a heart for us. And he says, I'm going to pursue you. I want you to see the wisdom of that. I want you to embrace that, yield to that, bow before me in faith. If not, then I'll use another means by which to mold your life, to get your attention, to deal with those impurities, those blemishes within your own heart. I think it's interesting back in chapter 17, God was telling his people through Jeremiah in verse 5, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm, whose heart departeth from the Lord. They had a misplaced trust, a replaced confidence, and a displaced heart. Their heart had gone away from God. And then God reminds them in verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. It is crooked. It is polluted. The fault is to swell up. It lifts itself. It vaults itself in pride. I'm enough. I don't need God. My way is superior. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, frail, sin, sick, incurable. Man cannot be healed spiritually apart from the divine work of grace and forgiveness of the great physician. That's the only way our hearts can be healed. We can't even know our own hearts. And so God, again, is trying to get his people attention, people's attention. So he said, go to this potter's house, back in chapter 18 and verse 2. And then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, verse 4, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. See, we're still in his hand. There's still potential he sees there. He doesn't throw the clay away. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Underline that, as seemed good to the potter to make it. That is such a qualifying, clarifying statement. Some of us, we obviously don't know what God is doing and what God has in store for us, but God knows. And some of us are resisting him, and some of us are, are like, well, what are you doing, Lord? And, and yet he's molding us and, and pressing upon us, and we're like, but I don't know about this, and, and, and I have no clue where this thing is headed and, and what you have planned for my life. My counsel to you today from the word of the Lord is yield to the potter. 
work against him. Don't fight against him. He knows what's best. He knows what he's doing. He has a plan for your life. Yield to him. Follow him. Don't harden yourself. There will be something, someone, somewhere that God will have to allow to humble you, to tender you, if you don't allow your heart to be tendered before him. Write this down, number one, God remolds, God remolds. The psalmist said in Psalm 31 and verse 12, I am like a broken vessel. I'm thankful that God takes that broken vessel, that's your life, my life, and he remolds us. He remakes us. He repairs us. He is always at work in our lives. That's his heart for us. No matter what we're facing, we're not left to fend for ourselves. We're not left to attend to the cares of this life all alone. There's a God who goes before us. There's a God who's already there. If we're broken, whatever we're bothered by today, what bothers us bothers Him. What concerns us concerns Him. That's His heart for us. He's always at work in our lives. Even in times of brokenness, He's working to remold us. Number two, God not only remolds, but God reminds. God reminds us. Verse six, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. Wow. Would you underline that? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand. God so spoke to me from this passage years ago. This became one of my life's verses, Jeremiah 18, 6. I'm in the potter's hands. I'm in the very hold of heaven, the grip of grace. No matter what I face in this life, I'm still in his hand. No matter what comes into my life, no matter the pain, the uncertainty, my life still has potential. I'm not going to just throw away what opportunities are before me yet. I can't see what good can come out of this sorrow, suffering, disappointment, this uncertainty. But you know what? I have a God who sees it already. He knows what his purpose and plan for my life is. If I would just trust him and rest in that, oh, what can God bring out of my sorrows? I've preached it all these years. Give God your brokenness, your sorrows, your heartaches, and God can bring good out of bad. How many of you remember hearing me say that at least 10,000 times? Right? Now, it's one thing to preach it. And it's another thing to say amen. But it's a, an altogether different thing to live it. When you're weary and discouraged and confused and you can't see any way forward and you've got so many different things weighing you down and, and really it's like the clouds of doubt and discouragement, even despair come between you and the Son of God. And you're like, the sun will not shine ever again in my life. It's over for me. Don't give in to that. 
but I failed, I messed up, who among us has not? I'm so unworthy, I'm so undeserving. We all are. So don't come down on the side of looking at your insufficiency. It can be excruciatingly painful. If God even lets you get a glimpse of your own heart, remember it's deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, your heart. I think if you study the life of Christ, one of the most diabolical, I mean unbelievably evil spirits that people have in their heart is that spirit of self-righteousness. Who was it that rose up and said, give us Barabbas. He's a known thief, but this Jesus will have none of him. Crucify him. Who was it that led the charge to crucify our Savior? It was the self-righteous. It was those who thought, I'm good enough. We don't need you, Jesus. We don't need forgiveness. We don't need another way or the true way to God in that regard. We've got our own way. You want to see how vicious and vile self-righteous people can become? Threaten their person, their identity, their desire, their design, their purpose, their philosophy, their ideas. Challenge it. And the heart will come out. If we're not careful, our churches can be filled with self-righteous people. I grew up in church. I went to the altar. I made a profession of faith. I was baptized. I've tried to do right all my life, and I'm not perfect, but hey, I'm better than a lot of other people. You better get off that. I'm better than a lot of other people. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. All have sinned. There is none righteous, no not one. May God deliver us from ourselves, our self-sufficiency, our self-righteousness. We're in the hands of the potter. God remolds, God reminds, and then God repents. And I want you to see this and we're going to pray. Verse 7, at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom, to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it? If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil... I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. God repents. God said, I will repent. He said, now wait a minute. God doesn't change, so how does God repent? God doesn't change. If you'll study this, you'll understand this word in relation to God. God repents. That literally means that God responds to our response to him. He says, if I pronounce judgment upon you, if you will humble yourself and turn away from your sin, then I will recognize your prayer of faith and repentance and I will turn away my wrath. I'll turn away my judgment from your sin, from your nation. We have more to do with the outcome of our lives than we think. We're just kind of coasting along if we're not careful, thinking, well, whatever will be, will be. You can't affect anything. You can't change anything. Prayer is just kind of like a 
spiritual discipline for those who are really loyalist, religionist. No wonder there's such a want for prayer in our churches because it's so lacking in our lives. We fail to see the heart of God, the offer of God, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. When the Assyrians said, we're going to destroy you, Hezekiah, and your people, Hezekiah went before God, spread that threatening letter before the Lord and cried unto God and asked for God's help. And God said to him, whereas thou hast prayed to me, because you asked me in prayer, here's what I'm going to do. Do you believe God hears prayer? Do you believe the answers? Do you believe God will hear your prayer? When you turn in your heart to the Lord from sin or self-will or self-righteousness or even your sorrows that somehow keep you from the Lord if you're not careful? Are you willing to give those to God, turn away from them and look to the Lord to behold Him through eyes of faith? And say, Lord, hear my prayer. Forgive my sin. Strengthen my faith. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Are we willing to believe God? Because God responds to our response to him. Here we are, our country, another crossroads. As a nation, almost spins out of control with such light, with such opportunity, you say, well, hey, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Well, according to, to God's word, that's not true. God will have mercy. God will stir his people. God will give a space of grace even, the Bible teaches, if the people of the Lord will humble themselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways, then he'll hear from heaven and forgive our sin and heal our land. Our land needs to be healed today. We all agree with that. Such division, such brokenness, such darkness, such sorrow and angst. There's a God in heaven who awaits the prayers of his children on behalf of their land. Why? Because he's always working in our lives to draw us close to himself, to draw us back to himself, to make us more into the image of his dear son, to accomplish in our lives what he so chooses. There's never a time when he's not at work. He takes us where we are. And he's not limited by our fault or our failure but he's able to bring good out of bad and blessing so much so you look back and say, I'm not glad that I went through that, but I can tell you this, I'm glad that God took that brokenness in my life and showed himself strong to me. He has so helped me and encouraged my faith. Let's let the Lord encourage our faith today because he said, you call unto me, and I will answer thee. You ask me. You have not because you ask not. Asking ye 
shall receive. Thank you for listening to The Shining Light. We pray that this time has been a time of encouragement and blessing to you. The Shining Light is a production of Shining Light Baptist Church, located at 2541 Old Charlotte Highway in Monroe, North Carolina. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to join us. Service times and more information can be found at our website, www.shininglightmonroe.com. You can also watch our services on Facebook and YouTube and connect with us on social media. Thank you for joining us, and God bless.